0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. With the EU agreeing rules to boost the use of sustainable fuels in aviation, the emphasis is now on decarbonising emissions made by long and short haul flights in the European Union. And for more on this, I'm joined by Dublin's Green MEP, Kieran Cuff. Kieran, good morning and welcome. Thank you very much, Pat. So you're back in town.
1: It's always good to be in Ireland. <laughs> uh, it's a quiet week in the European Parliament this week and uh, I did most of my meetings online. So that's one way of cutting down on your on your emissions. Footprint.
0: And now talk to me about sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, I yeah. mean, we're not talking about one
1: single recipe, are we? No, there's no silver bullet when it comes to aviation. But we do know that aviation is a big um, challenge when it comes to climate change. On the face of it, in both the EU and globally aviation is about 2 to 3% of the emissions but these emissions are multiplied uh, by what we call the non-CO2 effects when you fly at altitude and you emit pollutants from the jet engines they form contrails and these contrails they amplify the uh, climate change and global warming uh, so actually what, what is closer that? to it, because the, of the problem
0: the, those contrails are what almost like clouds and keeping almost the like heat clouds.
1: in almost clouds they're trapping they're trapping the heat uh, yeah. uh, underneath them uh, and the But the, they tend to be quite sparse in the, in the sky But actually uh, uh, if you look at some of the main travel routes uh, the contrails add up to become almost continuous cloud cover uh, and there's a real challenge there and this comes from some of the additives that we put into the fuel the the aromatics uh, a bit like the way we used to put lead in petrol mm-hmm. it helps the engine but it doesn't help the planet or help people's okay. health So
0: what is uh, the proposals from the EU. What are the alternatives?
1: So, uh, what we're proposing at a European Union level is to move towards uh, what we call sustainable aviation fuels. These uh, are about 80% less uh, uh, emissions compared to conventional fuels. And we can make them in pretty much two different ways. One way is using biofuels. uh, And obviously, biofuels are part of the answer in the short term but we've had our problems with the first generation uh, biofuels and we're making sure that we exclude food and feed crops uh, from the biofuels that we'll put into uh, aeroplanes. So what it will be will be the waste uh, uh, from the food industry the fats, the oils, the greases Uh, but we're already a little bit nervous about that because there's always the danger that virgin palm oil is relabeled and finds its way Mm. into these fuels. But I would be more um, enthusiastic about what we call synthetic aviation fuels. And these fuels are made uh, with green hydrogen, which I think we've huge potential to manufacture in Ireland with our offshore energy. If uh, we have surplus
0: electricity, then we can break down water into hydrogen and And oxygen.
1: So you get your green hydrogen and then you mix that up with carbon dioxide that we manufacture using uh, direct air capture, again, using electricity and hopefully green Electricity. So
0: you're taking carbon out of the air in the form of carbon dioxide and, and allying it with uh, the hydrogen and you pr- produce you a hydrocarbon fuel, You do, uh,
1: which, which has, you're
0: effectively recycling.
1: And it's essentially the same properties as Jet A1, the kerosene that we put into fuels. So it's what we call a drop-in fuel. You can put it in the same tank. And our target's... Are, this is the bad news. The targets are 2% for 2025, 6% for 2030, rising up to 20% by 2035 and eventually 70% by 2050. That's the numbers. But you can see it's a slow ramp up. Uh, sure. and How expensive are these uh,
0: to produce? I mean, we're not still producing uh, a regular excess of uh, green energy, wind energy. We will be, and uh, we were talking yesterday to uh, the energy cloud people about uh, the excess we have overnight sometimes when the wind is blowing and we don't use all the wind power. Uh, eventually, when we've all the offshore Atlantic wind blowing and providing us with power, we will have that excess.
1: But no, still. Absolutely. I mean, the energy cloud um, uh, crew, they're an amazing bunch, and it's a fantastic idea of using the surplus energy. But these but what's the cost initially be more expensive than conventional jet fuel, perhaps two or three times the cost. Uh, and when you look at, let's say, the, the sticker price on, on a air ticket, um, the fuel is probably a third or more of the price. So it will raise the cost of flying pat. But uh, initially it'll be almost unnoticeable because the percentage is because only two percent is not
0: going to impact and on your ticket too much
1: exactly and i think as as we ramp up production the cost will fall quite dramatically so everybody's talking about the production of green hydrogen and and uh, and SAFs. um what we need to see is the investment and what this new law will bring is a little bit of certainty as to where we want to be in 5 ten yeah. 20 years now, time is there
0: an acceptance generally that there will still be be a combustion involved in flying that you know battery technology is never going to be able to lift uh, three hundred people off the ground in an airplane because the battery size would be I, enormous
1: I would never say never pat and there are encouraging developments on hydrogen and uh, batteries for uh, for, uh, for uh, air propulsion but certainly with hydrogen. At the moment, you'd have to take up half the space in the airplane to provide the storage. Uh, and we all know about the Hindenburg, so I'm yeah. slightly wary of that. Also, the pressure at which that hydrogen has to be stored, like 120 bar or something
0: like that, requires a ma- you know so really tanks, sophisticated tanks. And, and tanks. the
1: weight of the tanks themselves is quite significant. I mean, I've seen HGVs that run on hydrogen. Again a lot of tanks five or six tanks stacked behind the cab but electrical planes are making progress and i think DHL the the delivery um, the cargo delivery uh, company have commissioned several electric uh, uh, electric planes that w- would actually be able to carry 20 people pretty much all the way from here to brussels uh, if it was people on the flight rather yeah. than packages so That we're seeing a shift happen there, but I think the SAFs, the sustainable aviation fuel, the same thing as kerosene but a lower carbon content, will be part of the future. And I think Ireland is very well placed to manufacture that.
0: Now, I want to get your feet back on the ground now, and I know you're an avid uh, cyclist. You uh, travel around Dublin generally on a bicycle.
1: That's how I got here this morning.
0: The the, the, uh, figures about uh, over sixteen hundred cyclists suffered serious crash injuries on Irish roads the people most likely to be killed on Irish roads are male,
1: middle-aged, travelling on high-speed rural roads. Yeah, I think we, we have a, a real challenge in terms of cycling safety. And we need to do two things. We need to invest in safe, segregated cycling infrastructure. What do I mean by that, Pat? Pat? cycle lanes that are separate from the road itself. That's Which is great when you're building brand new roads. You can yeah. do it. Uh, absolutely. But I think we, we we need to work in rural Ireland with local authorities and ensure that we build these safe cycle paths there as well. The NTA is doing this with some of the old national roads that have been bypassed with motorways. Mm-hmm. So there is potential on some of the old national routes to do this. But we need to take a lesson from, uh, from the Dutch uh, and provide these Cycle lanes by using land beside the roadway. Uh, And this gets you away from the noise, the pollution. But it is compulsory purchase and so
0: on that it might be required to buy this land from farmers. I mean, I've been on roads. uh, I'm trying to think where uh, I, I was. I think it was in France. And literally. Parallel to the main road that I was in a, a coach on, uh, I could
1: see a small road for cyclists, and it's a wonderful experience. And look, I, I guess we've we've been uh, purchasing lands for motorways for over for generations at this stage, uh, I think we need to do it for what I call active travel, walking and cycling. Uh, because I think the the one of the great ways of tackling our greenhouse gas emissions from transport is to make it easier and safer to cycle. But the second thing that we need to do, Pat, is look again at our speed limits. Uh, because quite often in both rural and urban Ireland, we have speed limits that are set far too high. You see an 80 sure. kilometer speed limit sign with grass growing in the middle middle. middle of the road that's crazy that somebody flies down that but still
0: the kind of uh, leisure cycling that many people do on the weekend and they are on country roads so called and almost at any speed, a car whizzing around the corner is going to be yeah. hazardous. I mean, at any speed, 30 kilometres, 50 kilometres, a cyclist is so vulnerable.
1: What no, do you absolutely. do? Absolutely. Well, I think uh, everybody needs to take responsibility. But I was struck by the head of the Road Safety Authority the other day saying that uh, everybody has equal responsibility uh, on the roads. I think we have common but differentiated responsibilities. And I think if you're driving uh, a vehicle that is essentially a lethal weapon, whether it be a truck or a car, I think you have more res- responsibility to carefully monitor your speed, to be looking ahead, to be thinking ahead about what may happen. Uh, and I think the road safety authority has, over the years, perhaps put far too much um, onus on uh, highly reflective clothing, uh, on um, uh, on lights, and all the things that that are often a good thing to have but I think they should focus much more on driver behaviour and particularly on speed, on slowing down vehicles and making sure uh, particularly that car and truck drivers drive more carefully on our roads. Obviously there's an onus on the cyclists to drive safely as well but I think we need to really focus on Mm. car and truck driver behaviour.
0: I I wouldn't want uh, cyclists to think I can wear head to toe black and that's fine, it's up to the motors to avoid me. The cyclist be... has a duty to be seen yeah. as well.
1: But I, I, I don't think you should wear clothes that are radically different from what you and I are wearing in this studio. Uh, and I think tri- often there has been a big focus uh, on making, uh, making the cyclist uh, look like they're um, uh, dressed in yellow from head to toe. And the facts are that often uh, drivers don't see you, even if you're clad in bright yellow. And... Um, and there's not as clear an evidence base as I would like uh, to suggest that wearing all this high visibility clothing helps you. I mean, I think what tends to happen in these uh, car cyclist collisions, often the uh, the driver, it, it, there's distracted behaviour there where they're looking at their mm. phone or looking at a screen in the car and not looking at the windscreen. All right.
0: Well, I don't know. I'm driving along in the cold winter mornings, you can spot the guy in the high vis and you can spot the guy with no light. Light on his bike and rest head to toe in black—it's just a fact. Rain, etc., etc. So I don't entirely go along with you there. But anyway, yeah. Kieran, look, thank you very much for joining us in studio, Dublin's Green MEP, the Pat Kenny Show with Aviva
1: Insurance, weekdays at nine a.m. on News Talk.